0: Boy, that song, I I love that hymn that we sang here in our first service, our traditional service, I surrender all. You know, sometimes life presents itself in such a way that's all we can do because sometimes things just don't make sense. And that's certainly been the case uh, here in the last week in Florida, last weekend with with so many deaths and tragedies. And I want to take time before we get into our message this morning, just to have a, a corporate time of prayer for those who have been so intimately impacted by the tragedies that took place last weekend in Orlando. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we uh, come to you today with heavy hearts still for so many people who were so dramatically impacted by these horrible events in Orlando last weekend, the singer who was shot, the terrible shooting at the pulse, the young infant child, the toddler, who was drug away by, a, by an alligator and, and, and drowned in a lake. God, we know that soon those events are going to fade away into history. They're going to fade away into news. They won't be the, the top stories anymore. But but for the lives of those who lost loved ones, for those who were wounded and are going to be living with not only physical wounds, but emotional wounds and maybe spiritual wounds for a long time, maybe the rest of their lives. We pray for all those who were so dramatically impacted. We pray for your mercy in their lives. We pray for your healing that only you can bring. We pray that somehow out of all this tragedy that that you will bring a sense of peace, a sense of hope, a sense of courage. God, we know you can do all that because you're greater than any of these things. So we lift everyone who was impacted up in prayer to you. And Lord, bless them. And God, we pray somehow, maybe those who have never brought been never brought to the point where they've trusted Christ as their Savior, maybe through these events, might be drawn to you and receive your eternal forgiveness. Lord, bless us now as we worship you together through your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's remember to keep those folks in prayer and not let it fade into history. Well, today is Father's Day. And we want to recognize all our dads here today because you play a special role in the world and a special role in society and a special role in the kingdom of God. So I'm going to ask right now, all our fathers who are here today, would you please stand and be recognized and let's give them a big hand? Congratulations to all our dads. Happy Father's Day. Hope your day will be filled with building some great memories with your family, whether it's through phone calls or whether it's through uh, being with them personally. Dads, we have a, a, a kind of a parting uh, gift for your Father's Day today. As you leave today, be sure to get one of these. The, the, this is a handy little tool that's got a level on it. it, it it's got a flashlight, something nice to keep in your, your, your glove compartment. And on the other end, it's got some tools, a Phillips a screwdriver and a regular screwdriver. So it's just a little one of those gadgets we guys love. And so it's for all of our fathers who are present in the service today. Now, oftentimes we get folks like we do on Mother's Day who are going away to a family thing later on and say, well, my grandfather, my dad, my, you know, just for fathers here today because there's no way we could plan on all the external fathers and events going on today. But, But just as a small token of our congratulations, our appreciation for your dads, make sure you get that on the way out. <clears throat> today, we're going to Pick up again our series, Life After Life, What's Next? Now, if you're a guest to the, the bridge today, understand that everything we do, everything we teach, everything that we celebrate comes from the word of God that we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. It is our guide for not only this life, but it is our guide for preparing for the life to come. This is our seventh week in the series. So if you've come now, you're coming at the very end. We're gonna end our series next week. But uh, we hope today's message will still be an encouragement to you. When the series is done, it'll be uh, available in its entirety on CDs. It's always available on our website at gobridgechurch.org. You can listen to them, download them to your MP3, however you would like to do it. We've covered a lot of material. I don't have time to to review it all today. The last couple weeks, we've been focusing on the question, so what's heaven really going to be like? You know, a lot of people thinking about heaven and eternity and forever and ever, they, they dread that thought. And we saw a couple of those testimonies last week, and I want to show you them again just to kind of remind us of, of the alternative thinking to, the, to heaven and eternity. Uh, Isaac Asimov, who was a uh, professor at the University of Boston of biochemistry, he said, I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. That's what a lot of people think. Mark Twain said, most people cannot bear sitting in a church for an hour on Sunday. How are they supposed to live somewhere very similar to it for all eternity? See, a lot of folks think of heaven and think of eternal life as boring, and I just couldn't tolerate that. And so they would rather go into a state of non-existence than to contemplate the thought of actually going to heaven. So what are we going to be doing forever and ever and ever? We started answering that question last week from the Bible, because the Bible gives us a lot of insight into what eternal life is going to be about. Last week, we discovered that we're going to see God and that we're going to worship God. Kind of getting back to what Mark Twain thought is that's what a lot of people think it is going to be, though. Heaven's going to be one long church service. And he said, how could people stand it? most people can't bear to be in church for an hour on Sunday morning? Well, when we really see God and when we really break out into the spontaneous worship that heaven is really going to be about, it's not going to be like a church service we're in right now. But everything, when we see the glories of the new earth and we see the glory of God and all that, all of our eternal experience is going to be an occasion for spontaneous worship of God. We will have corporate worship when we all gather together to worship God, but most of the time, it's just going to be spontaneous worship of God. And we we concluded last week that even if eternity was just seeing God and worshiping him, God is going to be so amazing, so overwhelming, that we would be perfectly content to spend all of eternity doing just that. But since God's not an egotist and God has so much more for us, God gives us other things. For example, we're going to get to explore. We talked about last week. So many people live their whole life in a very small box, very close proximity. They don't get to other countries. Some folks never get outside their own county. But in the new earth, we're going to have all the time and all the resources to explore the new earth and very possibly explore the universe. Since God has allowed humankind now to begin space exploration under the curse of sin, why would we think that he's not going to allow us to explore the universe later on? The chief obstacle to space exploration now, we saw last week, is time. It takes so long to get from one place to another. But when you have eternal life, time no longer is a factor. We'll have all of eternity to explore the universe and the new earth and do it over and over again. We're going to eat. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be great. Isaiah said that we'll sit down and eat rich food we talked about last week. You know, not vegetables and stuff. I mean, good stuff. Not that vegetables don't have their place, but we'll get to eat and We'll get to fellowship, and that's one thing that so many of us, As we get more and more of our loved ones and friends on the other side. We can't wait to see them again, can we? Can't wait to sit down and hug them again and talk to them and and just fellowship. But we'll get to do that not only with our loved ones and friends, we'll get to do that with all the great heroes of the Bible and all the great heroes of history who are believers and are in heaven, all the angels. And remember we said God created an uncountable number of angels, and so that's going to take a little time to get to introduce ourselves to them. But we're going to have a lot. But last week, we ended with this thought, was that with all those activities in mind, we have to keep in mind that those are things that we're going to have to do in our free time. Those are things we're going to have to do in our spare time, because there's one more major activity that we're going to do when we get to heaven. In fact, it's going to be our primary activity. And it's really going to surprise some of you. Are you ready for it? One more major activity, not that this is going to include everything that's going to be possible, but the one more major thing, the one primary thing that we're going to do when we get to heaven is this. We will work. We'll work. Now, I know some of you go, some of you say, work? Work? When we get to heaven, we're going to work. Maybe Asimov was right. Maybe Twain is right. We're going to work. I mean, we, we can't comprehend that idea. But, but I, I don't make this stuff up. Look what scripture says, Revelation 22. Remember, anything from Revelation 19 on, after chapter 19, is talking about the life to come. Everything before that is, is the final end of, of history as we know it. But, but look what Revelation 22.3 3 says. It says, No longer will be there any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will what? Serve him. Serve him. We're going to work. Say, like, man, you got to be kidding our primary in activity in heaven is going to be working. It's going to be serving God. Now, here's a big misunderstanding about heaven that a lot of people have. Some people think heaven is gonna be this big amusement park in the sky, and we're just gonna dance all the time and eat all the time and just have fun and party all the time. No, that's not what heaven is gonna be about. Heaven has much more purpose Much more design than that. Remember, this whole idea of the new heaven and the new earth centers around, revolves around the idea of restoring the heavens and the earth to their original purity before sin came into the world and brought decay and destruction. So it's all about that. And so our primary responsibility, our primary reason for being created was to work, Genesis 2.15. says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it and to take care of it. One of the reasons we were created in the first place was in order to work, to serve God, to manage the earth. And so since God is going to restore everything to its original creative source, it stands to reason that he's going to restore us to our creative purpose, which is to serve him and to work. Now, now, here's where this this whole thing, here's the key to understanding this whole idea of work. Revelation 23 says, no longer will there be any what? Curse. Now, you gotta understand, that that is the key. That's what makes it all different than what we may think initially when we think about working for God all eternity. Here's where our relationship with work went south. In the garden, Back when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them one prohibition that was not to eat of the fruit of the tree of, the, of good and evil that was in the middle of the garden. Of course, we understand that they did exactly that. God came down, he passed judgment. And so he passed his judgment on the serpent. He said, from now on, you'll crawl on your belly on the dust of the earth and you'll be the most despised of all creatures. And we know most people can't stand the idea of being around a snake. Then he said to woman, he said, he said now, nah, because your sin, Eve, in, in labor, in pain, you will bear children. How many ladies, how many moms here would say that, that labor maybe is just a little bit physically discomfortable, huh? How many would say that? Okay. All right, so that's where that comes about. Now, look what he says to Adam. It's to Adam, Genesis 3.17, he says, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life in other words the curse that came upon man was that for the rest of his life he was going to have to work hard it was going to be painful it was going to be a difficult experience see sin changed our entire concept of work which that was originally very satisfying very fulfilling very purposeful very honoring now became frustrating and toilsome and even painful. Now, some here today, you might say, I love my job. Some of the others might say, well, love is a strong word. I like my job. But no matter whether we love our job or like our job, we don't love or like everything about our job. There are things we would rather not do, but they come with the turf and we understand that. Now, some here today hate your job. You hate your job, you hate your boss, you hate your coworkers. In fact, just the thought of going back to work tomorrow, maybe even later today, just just turns your stomach. You just dread going back because you can't stand your job. You can't stand going to work. Well, understand, all of those feelings are the result of the curse of sin entering into the world. That's why we feel that way. That's not how it originally was. Now, think about this, though. Even under the curse of sin, psychologists tell us that one of our most important emotional needs is self-actualization. Maslow's pyramid of emotional needs. Once all of our basic needs are taken care of, our security, our food, all all that kind of thing, the top, on the very top of that pyramid of of needs that every human being needs is self-actualization. Self-actualization is this, is the understanding that our life counts for something. That we're just not here consuming natural resources, but that we have some purpose and that we're making some contribution to this world during our lifetime. That's self-actualization. So see, even under the curse of sin, we still have a passion to fulfill our created purpose, which was to work, which was to serve God, which was to have some kind of purpose, to make a contribution to life. And so we will be restored to our created purpose, which is to work, which is to serve. In turn, that is going to satisfy for all eternity our chief emotional need, which is self actualization. The reason that we have a purpose, that that we're not just living forever and ever and ever, just to live forever and ever and ever, but that we have a purpose, we have a place, we have a position in God's eternal economy. We will again enjoy a relationship with work that we lost when humankind fell into sin. It's all going to be restored and work will become a pleasure again. It'll be something we look forward to. It'll be something we can't wait to engage in because it will fulfill us. It will give us a reason for living and a way to express our thanksgiving To God for everything that He has done for us. Now, there's one more important wrinkle in all of this that I gotta talk about. One more really important thing. We will work, we will serve God. Some will rule, some will rule. Everyone will work, everyone will have a place of service. But some people will actually rule in the eternal kingdom that God will establish in the new earth. Remember, humankind was created both to serve, to work, and to rule. If we go back to the very beginning, first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, written by Moses, part of what the Jewish people call the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And God now has created man and woman. Genesis 127, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Goes on to say, but God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase another. In other words, have a lot of children. Have tons, tons of children. And he says, fill the earth with children. And then he says what? And subdue it. He says, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In other words, God says to humankind, both to Adam, to Eve, both to male and female, he says, fill the earth, repopulate, fill the earth, subdue the earth, rule the earth. I am placing you here in this new creation to manage everything that I have created. Now, in turn, all their descendants would assume that same role of sharing in the management of everything that God had created. That's why I said, be fruitful and multiply. because it's going to take a lot of you to rule over, to subdue everything that I have created. The new heaven and the new earth are going to be all about restoring things to the way God originally created them. And so we will be restored to do what we're going supposed to do. That is to serve and to rule. Look what it says. God is always and always will be the sovereign God of the whole universe. He is the head. He is the creator of it all. But the amazing thing about God is he chooses of his own volition not to rule the universe on his own. He uses angels and he created humankind to share in managing, in ruling over it all. So God's original design for humankind was that we would subdue the earth. We would manage it. We would rule it for him. That, again, is his ultimate design for us to manage, to subdue, and to rule the new earth. So everyone will work, but some will rule. Everyone's going to have a place of service. But some, above just a place of service, are going to share ruling responsibilities in the new heavens and the new earth. Why then, you ask, will only some rule? Why won't everybody rule? Well, Jesus addresses that during his earthly ministry. In the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 27, Jesus says this, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. Now, again, if you're new to to faith, and if you're just exploring this idea of faith, and especially Christianity, understand that one of the major tenets of Christianity is this, that Jesus is coming again. He came the first time, and we celebrate that at Christmas time. As a little babe, he was born into the world. But when he comes again, he's coming in his Father's glory, and the angels are coming with him. Now, look what he says. Jesus says, when that happens, then he will reward each person according to what? What he, what she has done. When he comes back, he's going to reward each person for what he has done during this lifetime. Reward with what? Reward with what position of service you will have in the new earth, in the new kingdom, and for some to reward with positions of authority and responsibility. Let me show you something. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Paul is writing to his young preacher apprentice that he's training to be a, 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 a pastor, training to be a worker for the, for the kingdom of God. And he says this to Timothy. Now there is in store for me. Paul's at the end of his life. He's, he's going to be executed by Nero pretty soon. He's in prison now. He's writing from there. He says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, on the day when Jesus passes out the rewards. He says, there's a crown waiting for me. And look what he says, and not only to me, but also to all who have what? Longed for his appearing. In other words, those who have really invested themselves in the idea that Jesus is coming back. Those who have invested themselves and the idea of eternity and eternal rewards. He says, this is a crown for me. Right before this, he says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Then he says all of this. So he's one who has longed. He has invested his life in the things of God's kingdom to come. In 1 Corinthians, he kind of, in more in general, says it this way. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets a prize? Now he's talking about the Olympics, because the Olympics started back in ancient Greece. Some think they went far back as ancient Egypt. So he's a sports nut. Paul loves sports, like a lot of we do today. And so he's, he's relating all of this now to the Olympics games. And so he says, do you know that in a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Only one wins the race. Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. Remember back in the early Olympic times, they didn't have medals, they didn't have that. They were given an olive crown made of an olive branch and leaves. And that would be the crown they would get when they'd step on the winner's podium. They'd put that olive crown on their, their head. Of course, we know that over time it would deteriorate. The leaves would die and, and fall off and, and even the stems themselves would start to deteriorate. So that crown that they got, the reward that they got for winning the prize was a very temporary award. But he says this, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever, he says. Remember this, heaven is not our reward. God does not give us entrance into heaven as a reward for the way we've lived our life. Heaven, being in heaven, is our inheritance. Big difference. If heaven were our reward, then we get to heaven by working hard to please God. But it's not our reward. It's our inheritance. See, Jesus says that in Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your what? Your inheritance. And what is that inheritance? The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So Jesus says, come all of you, the Father, come to the Father and receive your inheritance and he names and identifies the inheritance as the kingdom of God, heaven. In John chapter one, verses 12 through 13, scripture says, yes, yet to all who receive him, Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, who gets an inheritance? The vast majority of time, someone leaves an inheritance to who? Their children. That's what God's saying. Heaven is our inheritance. It's what he as our father wants to give us. It says, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And how are they born of God? They become born of God. They are adopted into the family of God and therefore entitled to the inheritance, which is heaven itself, because of their faith in Jesus Christ as the savior of the world. In addition to our inheritance, God offers rewards to his children. He has it all divided up, kind of like earthly parents do, maybe in a will. And they'll give this proportion to one child, this proportion to another child, many times based on the values and the character of that child and the place in society that that child is playing. Now, let me ask you a question. Who wears crowns? Who wears crowns? Now, other than people in a beauty pageant, Miss America, Miss Universe, put the crown on. Really, in real life, who wears crowns? Royalty, right? Kings and queens and princes and princesses, they wear crowns. What does royalty do? They rule. That's what they do. That's their position. And so God will reward some with crowns to rule with him in the new earth. See, the book of Revelation, again, following chapter 19, remember, beginning of chapter 20, everything is about the life to come, the eternal experience, says that the kings of earth will bring their splendor into the new Jerusalem, the holy city that has come down to the new earth. They'll bring their splendor in. Their people will come with them. See, we're not just gonna kind of be randomly walking through eternity, randomly kind of walking around a new earth. We'll have national identities. Remember, we'll keep our gender. We'll keep our national, our ethnic identity. We'll keep all of that, and there will be those who are kings over, over kingdoms and mayors over cities, and, and there'll, be, there'll be organization, there'll be structure. It won't be the kind of polluted and corrupt bureaucracy that we suffer today, But some will have the actual opportunity to rule in the new earth. Jesus said, Revelation 3.11, don't miss this. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Now, I know it's been 2,000 years. but Remember when we talked about heaven earlier, that there's no time in heaven. So a day is like 1,000 years. A thousand years is like a day. There's no time. So Jesus said, I'm coming soon. I believe he is. I believe he's coming soon. Everything's lining up for that. But look what he says. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. No one will take your reward. This passage identifies two reasons why some who go to heaven will not have any or many eternal rewards. It tells us why. We won't have them when we get there. The first part of it says this, hold on to what you have. Now, one of the reasons why so many people won't have crowns, so many people won't have eternal rewards of any kind is because they've never done anything to justify God giving them a a reward. God's not just going to, it's not like today in in our our postmodern culture where every child who participates in a sports gets a trophy. That's not the way the real world is, and that's not the way eternity is going to be. Some folks will, will have, you know, they, they, they really don't do anything for the kingdom of God. They, they, they believe in Jesus Christ and maybe they come to church on Christmas and, and Easter and maybe Mother's or Father's Day and they come or, or maybe they come once a week and just kind of check it off the box. Okay, I went to church. I went to mass. I went to synagogue. I, 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 I went to mosque, whatever. And, and that's it. That's it. There's nothing else there. And so when they get to heaven... There's going to be nothing for God justifiably to reward them with. The other reason, he says, is so that no one will take your crown. No one will take your reward. Now, who would take away my reward? Who could take my my reward away? Well, it may surprise you that in the first place, it's God. God might take away your reward. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 1, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, it should be, to be seen by them. If you do, what does he say? You will have no rewards from your Father in heaven. In other words, if you do things that God asks us to do, things like caring for those who are sick and visiting those who are in prison, and giving clothes to those who have no clothes and feeding and, and benevolence and service and, and tithing and all that kind of, if you do all that, but you do it with the motivation that you want to see people watch you do it so that they say, oh, my, my, look what a fine man he is. Oh, look at her. Wow, she, she, uh, she just really walks the walk, doesn't she? Oh, she is so wonderful. And see, Jesus is saying this about Pharisees who lived their whole religious life in the Jewish religious system so that people could just admire them. They'd wear prayer boxes on their heads and they'd recite these eloquent prayers and they'd have bells uh, sewn into the bottom of their robes so whenever they walked, people could hear them coming. And they would even paint their, their face ashen so that people thought they were fasting all the time. They were doing it all to win the approval, to win the admiration of people. And God says to them, Jesus is talking to them directly in this passage, but he says to us, if what you do is to create in others a sense of what a wonderful person you are, then when you really get to heaven, you're not going to have anything. God's going to say, you didn't do that for me. You didn't really do that because you loved others. You didn't do it because you loved me. You did it because you loved you. And it was the vehicle that you used during your lifetime to promote yourself in front of other people. I don't reward anybody for that. So God might take the reward away. Who else would take my reward away? Me. First Corinthians 3, Paul is writing to a very corrupt Christian church. They're really getting a lot of things wrong. And he's writing to them. And Chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, he says this, listen, Corinthians, listen, you Christians, here's what he's saying to them, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying this, listen, there is nothing else you can build your life on in order to be prepared for heaven than Jesus and he goes on to say, if any one man builds on that foundation, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day, capitalized not by me, but in scripture, speaking of the day of judgment, says, will bring it to light. Goes on to say, it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. And right away, he's talking about gold and silver and back in in those days, as it is today, to refine gold, to refine silver, they heat it up and all the impurities rise to the surface and they scrape the impurities off so that you have pure gold and you have pure silver. Said that's how our life is gonna be. Under the fire, under the gaze of God who knows all. He says, and the impurities will come up to the top and we'll be judged. He said, if he... What he has built survives, he will receive his what? Reward, right? If it survives, he'll get his reward. Now, mind you, Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. It says, Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Very clear. It says, Nothing. God's not going to miss a thing, not going to miss a detail. Now, understand that when we first read that, probably many of you right now are going, Oh, no. Oh, man, God's going to know this, and God's going to know that, and God's going to know... Yeah, he does. He already knows it. Maybe no one else does, but he does. But at the same time, don't forget this. All the things that you're doing in obedience to what God has called us to do, won't be forgot by him. Yesterday we had a lot of men come in here and set up all these chairs for the service today. They do it week after week and and, and week and, and and women too, to enable you to come in and have a nice, comfortable seat to sit so that we can worship God together. Well, they do it week after week after week. You're not gonna remember it, but God will never forget one of those weeks where they labored for him. People serving in the nursery, people in the children's ministry, greeters at the door, people passing out, everything. God won't forget any of it. You will, but he won't. He keeps detailed records. So Jesus says, or Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter four, he says, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. Why does he say wait? Because Jesus said, I'm coming soon. Then I'll bring my reward with me. He says, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart. At that time, each will receive his praise. Each will receive his reward from God when everything is said and done. Back to that 1 Corinthians 3 verse. If what he has built survives, he'll receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer what? He'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved but only as one escaping through the flames. So what's he saying? The believer will not lose heaven because he or she has not lived a life that merits God rewarding him or her. Why will he not lose heaven? Because heaven's not our reward. It's our inheritance. And that comes only through our faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So the believer who's put his or her faith in Jesus Christ will not lose the inheritance. They'll go to heaven. That's what, that's what Paul said. He said, but they'll get there like one kind of just passing through the top of the flames to get there. And when they arrive there, they'll have nothing awaiting them. The believer will lose rewards. The believer will lose opportunity for service. And some will lose their ability to receive crowns, to rule with Christ in the eternal kingdom. Again, we will all work. We'll all play our part. But we will not all rule. Now, I got to confess to you, I fully don't understand this whole thing of eternal rewards and and work and and all that. I I don't fully understand how all that works. And I don't think really we're even capable in our limited minds right now to understand it all. But here's as close as I've come so far. Right now, engage me. If you could do anything that you wanted to do, any job you wanted to have, what would it be right now? What would that job be? Think about it in your mind. Boy, if I could do anything, anything I wanted to do, this is what I'd like to do. All right, now, if you couldn't do that, what would be your second choice? What would you like if you couldn't do that first? What would be your second? Say, well, if I couldn't do that, then I'd really enjoy this too. I'd be happy with this. All right, then how about your third? If you couldn't do those two, what would you be happy doing? If you couldn't have those, how about your fourth? All right, here's the point. Here's how I think it's going to happen. We get to heaven, and we haven't lived our life in the way that God could give us our first choice, because God will be just. He has to be just. He can't just give everyone something for nothing. Then maybe we get our second choice. I mean, we don't get our first or second choice, but we get our third choice. Now, in that, we'll be perfectly happy. With any of those choices because we have decided that we would be happy doing any of those things. Therefore, there's not going to be pain involved in it, but there will be to some degree a sense of loss of wow, I could have. I could have. In so many ways, I, I think that when we stand before in the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne judgment where we're judged for whether we're going to heaven or hell, but the judgment seat of Christ for our rewards. I think there will be a sense of, wow, but not a sense that will carry in pain for all of eternity because we'll still be thrilled to be in heaven and we'll still be thrilled to have some way that we serve God for the eternal kingdom. We'll still have self-actualization. We'll still have purpose. So all of us will have some responsibility that will be extremely satisfying to us, but at the same time, some, will even have more opportunities than they ever imagined. Second Corinthians 5.10, Jesus, again, referring to his words, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each of us might receive what is due him for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. Understand this, every day, all day long, is nothing but one giant opportunity to live our lives for Christ in preparation for eternity. All day long, all day long, from the moment we get up and greet each other, the moment we go to bed. Every moment is an opportunity to prepare to receive rewards in the life to come. Therefore, Paul encourages us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, be very careful then how you live. He says, wake up be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. What's he saying? He's saying because there's so many things in this world that's corrupted by sin that want to pull us away from preparing for our eternal experience. Every day we are impacting our eternal experience And every day there are things trying to draw our attention away from that, trying to make demands on our time and our resources, trying to attract us to to pursue other things that don't have eternal value. So Paul says, be very careful how you're living, who you're listening to, what you're investing your life in. He says, instead, understand what the Lord's will is understand, grasp. That's why we come to church. That's why we do life groups. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we do all that we do, so that we understand what God's will is, because God has revealed to us what his will is, and he has revealed to us the rewards that he wants to give us for following those guidelines. So how do we live life wisely now? How do we understand what the Lord's will is? What should we be doing right now in order to prepare ourselves to receive the full reward that God wants to give every one of us when we finally get to heaven? What should we be doing right now? See you next week. And we'll discover it. Father, we thank you for who you are, and God, we thank you that you are so benevolent, you are so full of grace and mercy, God, that you are so creative and so loving, so generous, in that Just giving us forgiveness of our sin and just giving us an inheritance to actually be in heaven is more than any of us deserve. And yet beyond that, God, you want to give us so much more. You want to reward us all with purpose in the eternal kingdom. You want to give us crowns. You want us to share in the ruling of the universe that you will recreate And you've given us guidelines on how we can have exactly that. You haven't just said, well, good luck, do your best, and we'll see how it turns out. No, you tell us exactly what we need to know to arrive in heaven, ready to receive every reward that you want to give us. Lord, help us, as Paul said, to live wisely. Help us to think carefully about how we're living our lives. Help us to pursue what your will is. That's what Paul said he did. That's why he could say, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Now, henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness that the Lord himself will give to me, and not only to me, but to all those who have longed for his appearing. God, help us to be in that crowd. We want to please you. And it's so true, God. We can relate that there's so many things in this life trying to pull us away from you. Help us not to be foolish and follow those things, but help us to follow you. Make you the number one place in our life. And we invite you into every other compartment of our life. Only then will we be living the way you want us to live. Lord, I love you, and I thank you. We pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Don't forget this now. Step number one to all this that we've talked about is getting to heaven, and not everyone's going to get there. John, one of the original 12 disciples, in John 3, verse 14 through 15, quotes Jesus as saying, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. In the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, they were also sudden subject to a scourge where their poisonous snakes were biting them, and many of them were dying. And they went to Moses, and they said, beseech God that, that this might not happen anymore. So God had them create a snake and put it on a stake and put it in the middle of the camp. And when everyone got bit by a snake, if they would look to the snake, they would not die. Well, that was a symbol of the coming of Christ. And And so Jesus says, just like that, just like God gave that provision that for the children of Israel, that they could look to that snake and not die from the snake bite, God has lifted up Jesus Christ on the cross. And he says that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. See, if you believe in him, you can be cured not of a snake bite, but of the snake bite of the serpent that brought sin into the world. And you'll have eternal life and eternal forgiveness all you have to do is trust in him. Today, if you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, before you leave today, stop at our guest services booth or one of the other literature racks and get this little book. It's entitled, You Can Be Sure. It will tell you everything you need to know about how you can know that heaven will be your home, how you can know that your sins are forgiven. Take a moment this today and just read this little thin book. It's free of charge, our gift to you. Our ushers are going to come forward. We're going to receive our morning offering. As we give today, let's give with hearts of expectation because giving is a part of our eternal reward system. Jesus said, don't store up treasure for yourself in heaven where moth and dust and corrupt and thieves break in. And still, he said, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. And right now, we have that opportunity to do that. If you don't have time to prepare your gift before the offering plate passes, we have offering kiosks at all the exits. You can give a gift there. Let's give and let's be faithful. Next week, we'll end the series. Maybe the most important message of the whole series. Be back next week. Let's receive the gifts. And as we do, Gabriel, come and lead us in our closing praise.